everybody, and welcome to That's Life, where I'm pretty sure the first piece of chametz that I ate after Pesach was actually a fortune cookie. I'm pretty sure I'm right, because I think I was like putting stuff away, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, a fortune cookie. And that's what it was. Good morning, everybody, and thanks for listening. I'm Miriam L. Wallach, head of social responsibility in Cross River and host here of That's Life. You can find me here every Thursday right after Allison and right before Yussi's live lunch. Yes, it's been a while since I've been, you know, here, live, new show, etc. Well, I don't know if you heard, but Nachum was broadcasting from Israel, and, you know, there were other people. It was like, yeah, it was a different kind of week. So he was very busy. He, had, he made a wedding. I don't know if you heard. There are wonderful new in-laws. Did you guys hear that story when we did the uh, rededication show from the Lower East Side? Let me just tell you something. If you missed any of the programming from that Thursday um, when we had the rededication of the new studio here on the Lower East Side. Yes, but oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you, I'm broadcasting from the Lower East Side. I'm in the new studio. This is my first live lunch. Live lunch. Wow. This is my first That's Life. Oh my Lord. First That's Life in the new rededicated Lower East Side studio. I mean, do you make a Shekhinyanu or what? But anyway, when, all right, don't roll your eyes. I saw that. What? I didn't roll my eyes. Okay. When uh, when we did the rededication that Thursday, I told this story when Yehoshua Siegel, otherwise known as the Chassan, came on the air and I was telling him when somebody stopped us, meaning Nachum and myself backstage at the pre-Hask concert dinner, if you, if you missed that segment, it was before 9 o'clock. It must have been like 8.30, 9 o'clock that Thursday. Go into the archives and listen to it. I'm not going to retell it now because I did such a good job of telling it then. And there were other people around. It was really, the timing was good. It was, it was a good segment. Can we all agree it was a good segment? Yes, it was very good radio. It was very good radio. But anyway, um, yeah, you should go listen to it. It was pretty funny. And if you missed any of the programming, programming, what is happening today? Programming from that day, you should go back and listen to it as well. Because that Thursday and Friday was just, was amazing. And this was in the views, right? Yes. Where's the front page? Here we go. The Jewish views had a massive spread, massive spread on everything having to do. Oh, it's, a, it's even been, wow. The co- this is the first framed new item here in the new Lower East Side studio. Yes, the cover of the, the views. We thank Ari Hirsch. She did a great job covering everything. Anyway, we could talk about this ad infinitum, but hey, this is my first show here. It's very exciting. Let's do the national holidays. Today, folks, this is gonna this is gonna fascinate you. You know, every once in a while I I I announce that it's get to know your customers day, and then I make some kind of a comment of why do you only do this like why today? Today, now they write in parentheses, it happens every quarter. Oh, finally, why do you just tell me this now? Now I understand every quarter there's a day that's been designated as get to know your customers day. Makes a lot more sense. It's high five day. I feel like we should call Mayor Kay. He's probably high fiving somebody somewhere. It's national cheddar fries day. I don't understand the whole pouring cheese on top of French fries thing. It's not something that's ever made sense to me. If that's your way to do it, okay, fine. Um, I don't, I don't know what to say about that, frankly, but I also just want to mention that yesterday was national, national stress awareness day. Folks, I don't know about you. I don't need to be made more aware of my stress that I thought was like in the, in the, in the national holiday situation. That's like a bracha levatala. You don't take up a day for that folks. We spend enough time worrying about stress. 
Let's do the fortune cookie, and then let's get to our guest, who I'm very excited to have on. But hold on one second. Let's do this quickly. First fortune cookie on the Lower East Side in the new rededicated studio. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. The fortune says, don't panic. Well, you picked me right up there, fortune cookie. That's, that's great. Don't panic. I got nothing. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network, and I am joined this morning. I, I'm really, I joked already that I'm going to try and temper my excitement about speaking to my guests this morning, but frankly, I'm just too excited. <laughs> I'm just too excited because not only is this person an, an, an unbelievable human being in his own right but and a wonderful family friend, but also a, a tremendous source of knowledge in this in this area that we're going to discuss. And so I'm, I'm super excited to welcome Gabe Goldstein, Gabe M. Goldstein, the Interim Director and Chief Curator of the Yeshiva University Museum to That's Life this morning. He has served in consultant curatorial roles with the Capitol Jewish Museum in D.C., the Claims Conference, the National Archives, and the North Carolina Museum of Art. Gabe has also previously worked at the, Yeshiva, at the Yeshiva University Museum for over 20 years and has also worked at the Jewish Museum in New York and the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto. We're going to speak about the upcoming Maimonides show, which is being, I, I'm pretty sure it, it begins next week at the Yeshiva University Museum. We'll talk all about it in a moment. But first off, Gabe, good morning and thank you for joining me. Good morning, Miriam. Really, it's my pleasure. Thank you. No, it's absolutely my pleasure. And, and truth be told, is I want to give the audience a little bit of a background. For those people who don't know or, frankly, you know, not paying attention to Miriam's personal calendar, the yort site for my mother, the fourth yort site for my mother, Dr. Vivian B. Mann, is this coming Shabbat. And Gabe was, I mean, to refer to Gabe as, as a Talmud Muvhak of my mother really does not even do it justice. But the, the number of people who, shall we say, mourned along with us when we sat Shiva. I, I can I can count them on one hand, but Gabe is Gabe was there with us, both both brokenhearted and totally appreciative of who my mom was and what she contributed to the world of of art history and Jewish art history and 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 all of that and the the literature and the academia and her whole role. And so in inviting Gabe this morning, this is, shall we say, my homage to my mother, but also an opportunity to appreciate the role that that art and Jewish art and ceremonial art really play within our history. And we find ourselves during the weeks, uh, during the weeks of the yoms, shall we say. We had Yom HaShoah this week. We can all you know, very honestly, refer to a number of personal family artifacts. If you have had family members who are survivors who came out with certain objects that we reference in 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 our everyday, well, we remember Yom Hashoah, we remember the Holocaust. But when we come up to next week, you have Yom Hazikaron. There are families in Israel, plenty of families all over the world who have family members who were lost, who been fighting for the establishment of the state of Israel, and of course, in the years since, and in terrorist attacks, and they have their own art, they have their own objects that are extremely personal to them. And the same thing is true then for Yoma Atzmoed. And so Gabe, I think that the time that we have this morning, I can already tell you isn't enough. <laughs> we have so we have so much to talk about. But let's take let's take a beat back. Now that I framed the entire conversation, does it shock you still? You've been doing this a long time. Does it shock you still 
when you find another piece of ceremonial art, whether it's whatever it is, it could be it could be a mantle, it could be a kiddish cup. When you find something else that's so significant in our religion, does it shock you at this point just how it makes you feel? It's still equally powerful. It's equally exciting to find something new. Sometimes it still is quite new to me, even after having been at this um, for many decades. I I had the privilege of being your mother's intern. Um, was it a privilege? Years ago, this <laughs> summer. I mean, yeah, it really was. As I said previously in a, in our email exchange, it was a training by fire. Um, but that training in fire t- certainly taught me a huge amount, and and created that excitement from the very beginning. Um, I, I remember I commented about it before. That your mother, when I first met her um, for my interview for the internship, talked about the objects as clay kodesh and talked about that sanctification um, that's part of it and that sense of something that's very special that reaches beyond. And I think the way you introduced thinking about the this season of Yom HaShoah to Yom HaZikaron to Yom HaZmut is really very truthful because these are objects that encompass the past but also encompass a a sense of continuity and promise for the future and that sense of beauty alongside the history and the sacredness creates something that's exceptionally powerful Um, and I am I still take great delight and intrigue um, when I find something new or when I look at something that I've looked at before Mm. um, but I get a chance to think about it once again that's amazing that's amazing. How many times have you seen a kiddush cup and thought for a second, I have one on my table and people have had them on their tables for thousands of years? Um, it's interesting. I only remember once and it's actually amazingly the summer that I was an intern. <laughs> um, when I went to someone's house and they took out this kiddush cup, which had been in their family over many, many, many generations. And I was like, wow, that's an 18th century Augsburg Nuremberg cup. I have not seen one of those passed down. Um, I had not seen one that had that sense of continuity. Um, Because of the Shoah and going back much farther and that sense of discontinuity and rupture and loss, um, objects don't always pass down within families. Um, And that sense of history is really important. So I look at that Kiddush Cup. I look at one that's made by a contemporary artist in Israel or America, um, or I've recently been involved in a commission, and it's still really, really intriguing and powerful. Let's talk for a second about the about the meaning of continuity, because I'm not sure, you know, I understand, I appreciate the, the way you're using it now, but I think that for our audience, there's a, there's a larger conversation or a larger explanation that's needed. Okay, let's think about that. So many of these objects that we are so familiar with um, Torah silver, Kiddush cups, etc. We don't know their exact origins, but we know they reach very far back in history. We know of them, and this is something that Vivian, that Vivian Mann, Miriam's mother, really specialized in, looking at halachic literature, um, looking at early sources, that these pieces or pieces like them are often described quite well, let's say um, textiles to wrap Torah scrolls from sources from the Mishnah and beyond. And certainly we know of um, the types of objects for um, Torah decoration, Torah finials, Rimanim, the shield that's placed at the front of the Torah to mark it initially so you know which is read for the first reading and mm. which is read for the Maftir. 
um, the crowns, or etc. Those we can stem back in in records, in chuvots, in contracts with artists. There's a chuva from Rumba um, about a about a about a rimon that breaks. Um, so we know those from very early sources, and then there's maintained those types over generations. Um, so there really is a sense of continuity. We think for the Mesora, something which has to do right. with content, and that certainly is true, but with reverence and how that reverence is shown through beauty and through physical objects also stems cross generations. And that continuity of our of our heritage, of our Mesora, of this is what we've been doing. We have living proof. It's in our hands. This is what we've been right. doing for generations. And and when you mentioned before the break in continuity, that that. You know, when when certain artifacts don't make it to the next generation, it was it, people are people are are murdered, people are exiled, and things are left behind. Things have to be left behind. What what have you? What would you say in your in your expertise is the most passed down, most commonly, or I don't know if the word is commonly or easily or seamlessly maybe passed down piece of Judaica from generation to generation in a family. Um. It's hard to put your finger on, but the ones that, I mean, Kiddush cups certainly for a few generations make it. Right. Um, they're small, they're portable, they're used every week in an observant home. Um, but they're also often actually just a secular cup also. Mm. Um, the most distinctive object Is it in terms of ceremonial objects and the most frequently, therefore, kind of, I would say, because domestic objects, personal objects are passed down more than communal objects. Because um, communities move and that kind of right, thing. right. Um, but Hanukkah lamps, Hanukkiot, uh, because there's nothing else like them. Nobody else needs a lamp with eight lights and then one that sits sort of separately. Right. Um, that's not something you just kind of can find outside of this very specific use. So my in my head, of course, I'm thinking, well, but but they're so big. <laughs> how do you how do you make sure to pass it down? But then I remind myself they come in all sizes. You don't have to. Not every family has a big Hanukkah has a big menorah. Right. Yeah. No. And the ones, I mean, things that survive over generations tend to either be very fine and move into like treasuries of some type um, or very simple frequently also survives things that are, I mean, you know, it's not surprising that Jews had to melt down objects right. as did everyone. Right. I mean, huge amounts of objects in the church and elsewhere were always melted down because the, there's just this value innate in objects made of precious metal. Right. Incredible. It's such a it's 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 a real living part of our history, isn't it? It's they tell a story, these objects. It's something that it took me years to appreciate. But these objects tell a story, and one of the beauties of the world that you live in and that you represent is that you get to tell that story to the rest of us. And while that is a beauty, it's also a responsibility, right? There's something about putting together an exhibit, and I, I look forward to discussing the Maimonides exhibit with you in a second, but there's something about putting together an exhibit so that the person who walks in into that exhibit has a particular experience, understands the 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 what what your purpose was and what story is trying to be told. Am I am I getting it? Yeah, no, that's a part of our exhibitions that is you have to have this capsule experience that's immersive, that people are enchanted with at some level, but also intrigued and spend time to uh, with and in exploring. And you also want to have those objects that really are resonant. Um, and the there is a responsibility, and the objects themselves. I can say they sing, but they don't mm. always sing. <laughs> and they don't always sing in harmony. And you have to make sure that that happens 
um, in the right mix and in the right context. Um, and that is a responsibility because um, you're not talking only about things, you're talking about people and the people who were in the past and are represented and who cherish those things in the past and you want to tell their stories through those objects. It's amazing. It's amazing. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm joined by Gabe M. Goldstein of the Yeshiva University Museum, which, by the way, for those of you who go to Washington Heights, is not located in Washington Heights. We will go through that in a second. It's actually downtown on 16th Street, and you're going to want to know where it is because upcoming May 9th, the Yeshiva University Museum exhibit of rare artifacts and manuscripts handwritten by Maimonides will be on display. Let's talk about that for a second because I'm listening, I, I'm reading these words, and I read through the press release before, and I'm saying to myself, how did, how did they get these? <laughs> You have to ask very politely. Part of it. <laughs> um, so the, this exhibition, The Golden Path by Monides Across Eight Centuries, um, which is being curated by David Sklar, has been in the works for a while. Um, and we've really looked at, an ex- at the opportunity to present um, the very best um, historically, artistically, um, and a broad storyline of how Maimonides um, existed within his own life um, in, a, in, a, you know, in medieval um, Spain and then in medieval Morocco and Egypt and how then Maimonides' impact and his teaching stretched across generations, really so there was no one else like him, you know, from Moses to Moses, as was always said, mm. um, in terms of how he was um, studied, interpreted, challenged, reinterpreted, um, and how that became, a, in many ways, a mirror of the definition of Jews and Christians and Muslims in different periods, in different locations. Um, we, yes, we, the exhibition is based on the best private collection of Maimonides and Maimonides-related material, which is the Hartman Family co- Collection in Chicago. And that gave us, like, an incredible starting point, a really powerful collection of, of manuscripts and rare books um, that tell a huge amount of the story. But we reached farther and tried to imagine what else we possibly could have how far we could stretch the storyline in terms of quality and depth. Um, and so we went asking and we knocked on the door of the Bodleian libraries in Oxford and we're borrowing the Perish Mishnayot, the commentary on the Mishnah and the Mishnah Torah, both which feature um, at parts of which were written in Maimonides' own hand and which the, the Mishnah Torah literally has like this signature at the end that says, I am Maimonides and I convey that this is a totally accurate text of what I want to write. Um, and then we are borrowing beautiful um, illuminating manuscripts. We're borrowing a manuscript. I mentioned to Miriam earlier, a manuscript from Barcelona from 1340, written in Barcelona from in 1347 or 1348, um, from the Royal Danish Library in Copenhagen that's been in that collection for a very long time, and which I also first studied and encountered um, that same summer as an intern working for your mother. Um, so we, I had a mental list. Um, we did research. We created a larger list. David, the curator, knew many, many sources of wonderful objects. And we started to ask. And um, we got a huge number of yeses. Amazing. So it's especially exciting, I think, as um, after COVID, we all kind of returned back to a much more active life. And museums were sort of dormant. Right. Um, and Yeshiva University Museum is really excited. That is presenting this to the public. It's beautiful. It's it's very exciting. I I mean, I, Gabe, you'll you'll appreciate this, but I even want to come to the opening. 
laugh. I know. I know. That, that is a really big deal. I, I know. do appreciate it. I, thank you. I appreciate that because I sort of can't believe I'm saying it, but I'm actually really excited to see this. This is something you can't be Jewish and this not speak to you. This is not a I don't know how to I don't know how to put it in a this is not an exhibit about a community with which you are asking the person who's coming into that exhibit to connect to. There's no one who's not connected to the Rambam. We live these teachings. This is part of our life. So to come in and see it in, in his own handwriting is astounding. And I also find it fascinating that the, that the sources that from whom you've borrowed, all these different like manuscripts, not all of them are Jewish. Don't you find it amazing that they valued his work as well? Well, that's one of the fascinating aspects was how widely disseminated and cherished Maimonides' teachings were over the centuries across the world. And that, you know, Thomas Aquinas looked to Maimonides to understand Christian theology. Mm. And that I think we know within our own Jewish world that there are all these different communities who we think of as being disparate, who all saw Rambam as their own and really being the archetype of how they see life whether that's Chabad or Yemen um, or Litvaks. Litvaks and, and Chabad both say Rambam is us, mm. right? Um, that doesn't happen. No. Right? Like, <laughs> Kabbalists, you know, people claim that, like, Kabbalists who were, like, you know, saying that, Ram, that Rambam was a Kabbalist too, which was hidden. Um, <sighs> so it, it is fascinating that way, and it is. We have, we're born from the Museum of the Bible in Washington. Um, we're borrowing from, you know, from – from the Bodleian and from the British Library, um, it's it is really impressive. Wow, wow, it's it it really is impressive. It's it's actually pretty mind blowing. The exhibit is at the Wahoo Museum at 15 West 16th Street, located in the Center for Jewish History building. It is free. It's open to the public Sundays through Fridays. You can find more information at uh, www.yu.edu slash golden dash path golden dash path but i'm sure you can also go on the yu museum website to get more information about everything going on at the yu museum and i assume also to become a member am i right yes most certainly we encourage that yeah i would (laughs) i look forward to becoming a member actually gabe and i look forward to seeing this exhibit myself it is it, it sounds absolutely incredible and all of you together, you should be very proud of this because if this is if this is our return to life post COVID exhibit, well then, well then, well done. Thank well, you. Well done, indeed. Golden path. Yes, golden path. I I gave I I, comp, I I so appreciate your time, as always, and and certainly the role and the and the, the friendship and the connection with our family. We, we always appreciate it. And um, I, I look forward to continuing conversations about the YU Museum, about art with you on the air. There's so much, uh, people don't, people don't get it. It's, it's, it's this that connects us to our past. You want to, you want to see it. You want to feel it. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. You got to go to a museum. <laughs> you got to go to a museum. You got to see it for yourself. I think yourself. we all kind of know on a day-to-day basis how the visual speaks to us. Right. We're all very busy with our phones looking at, photos of everything and taking photos of everything and that visual experience is central and we kind of sometimes think that we're people of the book and this is an exhibition that's obviously based heavily on books and manuscripts and text 
Um, but there's this visual component, which is so powerful. Yep. And yes, you have to see it to believe it. Yep. No I look forward to seeing you. Gabe Goldstein, Interim Director and Chief Curator at the Yeshiva University Museum. My thanks to you for your time, and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. As always, Miriam, a pleasure. Thanks, well, Gabe. And I will talk with you soon. You got okay. it. Thanks, All Gabe. Best. Have a great day. Bye. You've been listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. A full afternoon of programming continues. Of course, the live lunch with Yossi Zweig starts in just a few moments. And then we have Throwback Thursday. We have the uh, the we have 7 p.m., the Arab Shabbos show. No? You're making a face? We're not so sure? Just don't. Just keep that. Don't change that dial. Is that... That's what we oh that's what we say. Don't change that dial. So don't change that dial. Malcolm Siegel tomorrow morning, JM and AM, six AM, joined by Malcolm Holmline at seven forty AM. There's been a quite a bit of activity, folks. You don't want to miss anything going on in terms of our programming and certain certainly in terms of JM and the AM. And then don't miss our Arab Shabbos programming continuing until continuing until candlelighting here. In the New York area, what is wrong today? I'm speaking too quickly, maybe. Saturday Night Seagull, hosted by Avrami, starts at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And then Matis, 7 a.m. Sunday morning, continuing that seamless stream of JM Sundays. Thank you, Matis, 7 a.m. Sunday morning. Okay, folks, this is going to be a strange selection to you because you're probably saying to yourself, oh, it's Rosh Chodesh tomorrow, it's Rosh Chodesh on Shabbos. She's going to close with a Rosh Chodesh song. Nope, I'm not. I'm closing today with something off the back wall. I'm sure Kunstler would say that himself. Az Yashir by Aryeh Kunstler. Why? I'll explain why. You're going to give me 30 seconds to explain why. Because as Rabbi Glatt said over Yuntif in a drusha, which I thought was a beautiful message, that even out, we come out of slavery. We are slaves. We are tortured. We come out of slavery. And what do we do? Azma, what do we do next? Az Yashir. And we turn and we sing because that's what we do as a people. We have, we, we face un, uh, just unfathomable tragedy and hardship and we turn and we say, Az Yashir. And certainly my, my heart is with everyone in Efrat and everyone in Israel. It is a trying, trying time for our brethren, that is for sure. But if the message is anything from what is coming out of Israel, and certainly by um, by everything that happened this week in Efrat and Rav Shlomo, who was on with Nachum just the other day, Az Yashir, we get together and we sing. That is what we do. That is our resilience we turn around and we sing. Azia Shir by Arya Kunstler. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Azia Shir by Israel. Sashira has eyes, as Sashira has eyes, slashing by your Yoshir Moishe Israel, Sashira has eyes, as Sashira has eyes, slashing by
She 